Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, I first of all want to say how much of a privilege it is, number one, to be able to uh, take a couple weeks off and know that you guys are in good hands. And I thoroughly enjoyed. Matter of fact, I, I don't know how you operate. I operate a little bit differently. If you're a person who comes to church and doesn't take notes, I would challenge you to take notes, whether it's a journal or you like to write in your Bible. I do both. Like, I write all over my Bible. I highlight. I got different color. If you were to sit down with me, I got like a teal blue pen, a, a, a regular blue pen, a black pen, a red pen, a purple pen, because I like circle, highlight, do whatever. And then I got highlighters, right? And I don't highlight much in it, but I do uh, write notes and everything. But I have uh, over a page, if you were to pull out my journal, I had two and a half pages of notes just last week on what Buddy brought to us, and I want to encourage you to be praying for him. He's wrapping up a day. Uh, today, he's been down in Revival in Southwest uh, Missouri uh, since Wednesday. He's been preaching down there, so I'm excited uh, to jump in. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start off in verse 14, and we're going to read all the way to chapter 4, verse 5. Now, to let you know a little context of what's going on. Paul has written this letter to Timothy. It's the second one. As a matter of fact, Paul is in prison. Paul is preparing to die, and it's kind of a, a final charge that he gives to Timothy as a result of what he's faced. And Paul has been persecuted. He's been beat. He's been beat within uh, uh, just one lashing of his life. He has been arrested and rearrested, and, and uh, he has done all kinds of crazy things as a result or, or for Christ. And I want you to think about who Paul was. Paul, in his life, was a person who persecuted the church, right? He killed believers, people who were followers of Jesus. And then he has this massive conversion experience on the road to Emmaus. He comes to Jesus after a little bit of time of, of being led in discipleship and things like that. Paul becomes what I would call or classify as the greatest missionary in, in our lifetime, or, in the, or sorry, in the lifetime of, of the church history. And so 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, and I want to read this, and then I'll give you just a little bit more context. Starting in verse 14, and you can follow along in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen uh, behind me. But it says this, but as for you, keep in mind, this is Paul's charge to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that, listen to this, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter 4 says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, keep this in mind, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, what we just sang about, right? That when Jesus comes back, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that the trumpet, at the last sound, when Jesus comes back, that those who are imperishable or those who are in imperishable bodies, imperishable bodies will be united with the perishable and they'll be caught up in heaven. And there's some great truth there. But in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So this is Paul's statement to Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience 
and with careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, listen to what it says here. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that simply your word would be preeminent, that your name would be declared in great with great wisdom and with great grace. God, knowing that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that brings us life. And what we celebrated today with baptism is just a glimpse, a glimmer of that and what you promise us, which is a life and life more abundantly. So Lord, we pray that we would align our lives with your word, that we would sit under the authority of your word and that we would allow the spirit to do just what the spirit does, which is to convict, to correct, to rebuke, and to also train us through the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I still stand by my statement that that has got to be the most annoying sermon intro video that I have ever heard. <laughs> and part of that in reality is what we wanted to do, right? We, we wanted it to be a nuisance or annoying because what we oftentimes miss out on is this that most of the voices we allow to speak into our life in reality are annoying or nuisances or problems because we give those voices the, the seat of authority in our life. We're bombarded by messages daily. As a matter of fact, we are bombarded with voices telling us what to do, how to think, how to act, how to respond, what to believe. And these voices come from all different directions, right? They come from friends, they come from acquaintances, they come from family, they come from parents, they come from the news, they come from political and ideolog ideological voices, they come from social media, which seems to be where a lot of people get their friends, their news, and make-believe, I don't know, whatever else it is. But we're going to jump in today to this section of text, because I want to ask you this question. This whole idea of the sermon series is to ask you this question. What are the voices you listen to, and why do you allow them to influence you? Right? And I believe as a church, as we dig into this, that we have to begin to ask ourselves this question. What are the voices that we listen to as people, followers of Jesus, and how do we let them influence us when we should be going the opposite direction? See, the reality is those are outside voices, but internally we also got voices that speak to us as well. Matter of fact, we're going to discover or talk about one of them next week as we wrap this up, but I want you to think about this. Here are the internal voices, fear, shame, regret, guilt, discouragement, doubt, depression, struggles, anxiety. All of those speak into our lives. So we got these external voices that speak, but then internally, like like we'll have voices that say, I have no value internally because you're taking the external pressures of the world and you're looking internally and going, see, I, I just, maybe I should stop existing. Maybe I can just save the world a lot of problems if I just ceased to exist, right? Or maybe, just maybe that I'm stressed out over everything because I'm trying to please everybody else instead of just being obedient to what God has called me to do. And so those are the internal voices, and we may not have control. Listen, we may not have control in, in listening to or hearing what we hear in passing, 
but we do have control over which voices we believe and which voices we listen to. See, we can have all of those voices on the outside, and we can choose to hear those voices and not listen, or we can choose to hear the voices and listen. We have have this dinner time game at our house that is just cards that create questions. And our question last night was this. When somebody tells you you can't do something, do you believe it? Or are you the person who looks and says, I'll show them? Right? Because some of us, when somebody says you can't do something, you go, oh man, yeah, you're right, I can't do it. And then there's others like me. Like I'm, I'm just the type of person when somebody's like, yeah, don't do that. Like in, in, in seminary, we had people that were like, don't take these teachers. We, we, we had a thing in seminary, it was don't cross the bridges don't sniff the roses, and don't drink the Welch's, because those are the three professors they said not to take, Dr. Welch, Dr. Bridges, Dr. Rose. And I was the guy who was like, oh yeah? I just think y'all are a bunch of weenies. I'm going to take Dr. Bridges, and I'm going to take Dr. Welch. I was 50-50. Dr. Welch loved the dude. He was hard. He was ex-military dude, and I did really well. Dr. Bridges, I can't stand the guy. I think he's an absolute moron. I got a D in this class off one test, really off one question. And we had it out, and I told him what I felt, and it didn't go so well. So I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) I still lost, and I still got a D. So, But I, I want you to think about this. You may be that individual. In recent years, churches have drifted away from sound theological instruction and have chosen to cater to outside voices. We have allowed external factors to speak into what really is the very thing that the church should be built upon, which is the truth of God's word. And so we've allowed the outside voices to speak louder. We've had people come in and say, you need to change. You need to get with the times. Proverbs chapter 4 says this, and I believe that this is a, a, an individual thing, but I also want us to think about it corporately, that above all else, we are to guard our hearts for it's the wellspring of life. And I want to say this, that I believe it's the role of the church to guard and protect its heart and build it upon the truth of God's word and nothing else. So you can call me an old fuddy-duddy, you can call me a fundamentalist, you can call me a person who's super conservative, but what I believe is this, that the church is to build its life, the church is the people of God, to build its life upon the foundation of sound biblical doctrine that calls into question any sin that is in us, and then as a result of that, when we hold to sound biblical instruction, then we see a massive move of God. The reason I believe that churches oftentimes don't experience a massive move of God is because we say we got to water things down, we got to change everything up, and as a result of that, we begin to drift on into insufficiency and a lack of impact. We have no influence. Because we want to water it down. We want to walk away from what Jesus has taught us from the get-go. Listen to just a little bit of things as we jump into this. I want you to know the impact that I believe that media and everything has upon the lives of people within the church. And we could talk about social media, we could talk about media as far as news media, we could talk about entertainment media and stuff like that. But 72% of adults and 97% of teens use social media websites. You get that? 72% of adults and 97% of the teens. Now, for those of you who aren't part of the 72%, I would say great for you. Right, But for those of us who are part of the 72%, we want to use social media in a wise and a very 
what I would say, biblical way, in a, in a way that we can influence people to make a decision towards Christ. But listen to this, 89% of teens use social media frequently enough, out of which 45% of teenagers use it almost constantly. I don't know if you have watched teenagers recently, and I'll even say people in their mid-20s, we go out to dinner and sometimes I watch. Because we're just as guilty. Like there are times where it's like, oh, you know, right? Like you get a meal. We went out the other night for sushi. You get a meal, what's the first thing you do? Take a picture of that food. I'm going to text everybody what I'm doing. Hey, check this out. Doesn't this look good? Right? It's completely changed everything. And, or maybe we put it on social media type things to get a response. But listen, 49% of adolescents believe they are addicted to social media. Did you know that if you were to watch, matter of fact, I'm going to recommend these two. I'm not, I'm not I, I would definitely watch Social Dilemma. If you haven't watched it, you can watch it on Netflix, if you got Netflix. I would recommend this for any and every parent that you watch Childhood 2.0 on YouTube to understand what is going on in the life of the teenagers and your kids. If you allow your kids to constantly be on a phone, I'm going to tell you right now, I think you need to put a screeching halt to it. I think you have to limit it. You're going to have to set up guards and measures because they don't understand boundaries. They haven't learned what a boundary is. And one of the struggles we're starting to see is, number one, every teenager Almost every, 49% of adolescents believe they're addicted, and those who use social media more frequently have more mental health issues. Limiting the use of social media leads to lower depression and anxiety symptoms in the lives of teenagers. Did you know that the United States and Great Britain are one of two countries in the world that have not identified social media and technology addiction as an actual mental illness? Every other major country in the world has identified it. China and Japan are leading the way, realizing what's going on as a result of our access to technology and our constant use of our phones to get some attention. And as a result of that, please hear me out, this is not a complete bashing of social media, but what I want us to understand is this. As a result of our constant encouragement of using these types of things, what I believe has arisen is a false sense of reality of what is true and what isn't true. That some people operate in a world that just is, to a certain extent, non-existent. It's make-believe. I mean, let's, let's be realistic, right? I would say most of America tries to line up somewhere centrist, but we've got extreme left and extreme right that cater to or get the loudest voice for some reason, and yet we've got people who are following those, those guises and those ideologies to a point where some are lashing out. And let's be realistic as well. If we talk about yesterday, what happened in Buffalo, that's an extreme ideology of absolute hate. But it's being communicated all throughout social media and our media as well. So I wanted to jump in today, and I wanted to unpack this reality. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. We must listen to the word of God over every other voice trying to speak into our lives. We have to. Because otherwise, those voices are going to lead us down the road of destruction. It's going to be a wide road that's going to lead us in a direction that we never wanted to go. Now, here's where I can guarantee you that toes are going to be stepped on today. And this is not pastors seeking out to go after a certain group of people. 
This is allowing God's word to speak truth into our lives, to reveal the deep, dark recesses of what we oftentimes try and hold on to when God says, no, that's not the way it's going to go. If you want to follow me, then you follow me. If you want to be half-hearted, committed, then you're not really following me. Jesus lays that out completely in Scripture. It's an all-or-nothing thing when I follow Jesus. He basically says it this way. Count the cost, be willing to take up your cross. So, if we must listen to the word of God over every other voice trying to speak into our lives, then what does today's text teach us about that idea? And I want to say this, number one, that we have to listen to the voices of strong believers around us. What happens in the life of Timothy is this. Timothy is somebody who grew up under a Greek or a Jewish believing mom and a Greek father. As a matter of fact, we believe that Timothy came to Christ as a result possibly of his grandmother, Lois, or his mother, Eunice, both of which were believers. And later in Acts chapter 16, if you were to read Acts chapter 16, you see that Paul hears about what's going on in the life of Timothy, this young believer who's making a difference, who's really leading the way. And Paul says, hey, I'm going to take him and I'm going to disciple this guy. Paul's been discipled by some of the other disciples. Paul says, I'm going to take Timothy. He's going to be my disciple. And later on, Paul even says, Timothy, you're my son in the faith in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And so Paul is giving this final charge in 2 Timothy to Timothy, but I believe it applies to all of us, that we have to listen to the voices of strong believers. Listen to what it says in verse 14. One more time as we kind of go through this. It says, but as for you, matter of fact, keep in mind this is Timothy, but I want to say it to you. As for you, as for me, that we have to listen. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. So here's the reality. That if you grew up as a believer and your parents poured their life into you and showed you and shared with you the truth, then what Paul is saying to Timothy is you continue in what you have grown up in and what you have been convinced of. The Bible says this, teach a young man the way to go and he will not depart, right? So I begin to train and equip and encourage. As a matter of fact, the number one factor in teens' use of social media and listening to media and everything else is apparent. You determine the direction of your kids. And you can say, well, I don't want to be a fuddy-duddy. I don't want to be the one who's going to squash their fun. But the reality is most of the things that happen on social media or most of the things that are going on in social media nowadays are simply just destroying our kids. Anxiety has shot through the roof. Suicide between the ages of 10 and 14 has shot up over 56%. 56%. Anxiety and depression are at all-time high. More and more kids are saying they're addicted to social media. Matter of fact, social media is used almost constantly. Like when we talk with our son, we're like, stop, you're not using that. He's like, dad, that's how everybody communicates. I'm like, text them. Nobody texts. Everybody does Snapchat. I'm like, I don't care who does Snapchat. And he's like, well, that's the way it is, Dad. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so your, your kids are operating in a world where if they don't do it, they're kind of isolated or segregated out because they don't have the Snapchat. So you have to learn to teach them how to walk wisely in a world that's going to try and destroy them. 
So remember the teaching you received, the foundation upon which your life was built. Proverbs chapter 14, which is what we talked about or kicked this series off with just a reference. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to what? Death or destruction. And so what we have to teach our kids is that the foundation for a life of truth is built upon God's word. So I allow that. Listen again what he says as he goes into verse 15. Because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. So here's the reality of what's going on in Timothy's life. He has been taught God's word from the time he was an infant. And one of the things I would encourage you parents is as your kids are, being, are growing up, that you definitely have a time of devotion, that you have a time where you're reading God's word, that you're digging into it. Matter of fact, you can talk to my wife. We've got books that we have that we've used with our kids. If you have some recommendations, a lot of times it's just reading scripture stories throughout. But listen, it says that you have known from infancy the holy scriptures. But then he says this, which are able to make you wise for salvation. So it's the idea that you reveal the truth of what it means to be saved, to be saved from our sins, it, the, the need for our salvation from our sins, the, the sinfulness of the world. But then it also says, not just the wise for salvation, but it's wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way salvation comes about. Here's the struggle. To make that blanket statement right there that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ is to isolate people. It is to separate people. But it's a blanket statement that Jesus made that affects everybody. Jesus made the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the one who declares that he was the creator and sustainer of all things, that he died on the cross and rose again, and as a result, he will be the one who judges each and every one of us. That's what he gets into chapter 4, verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom. So here's what Paul's saying. Listen, here's why God's word is most important, and here's why you need to listen to those around you, because salvation comes by faith in Christ alone. And that's what scripture teaches us. Social media, media and everybody else will say, well, you could pick and choose. If you want a little bit here and a little bit there, throw in a dash of Christianity and you're good to go. That's what I'm talking about when we start to see what goes on in Scripture, because you either believe the foundation of Scripture, which is Jesus makes some very specific claims that are only affected or, or, or effectual by him, or you try and pick and choose what you believe, and if you pick and choose what you believe, then you real, in reality can't believe the Bible. You can look at Jesus as a good moral teacher, but you're not going to acknowledge him as Savior. You look at Jesus as a way, but you're not going to acknowledge him as the way. You're going to look at Jesus and say, that's great, have the church. I got my own church. It's called my bed at home. The church is the bride of Christ. And so listen, if we want to listen or if we must listen to the word of God over every other voice, then we have to learn to listen to the voice of strong believers. And that's exactly what Timothy did. He built his life upon the truth that he was taught from the time he was an infant until the time he had grown to this point. And it was all built upon faith or, or by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
Number two is this. We have to let God's word direct our thoughts and our actions. I have to allow God's word to direct my thoughts and my actions. In other words, my beliefs and what I'm going to do, how I'm going to live my life. God's word directs or dictates all of those things. Listen to chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture, not some, not part, but all of God's words were given through men by the power of the Holy Spirit so their writings are without error. Now, I've had people say, see, there's errors here and there's errors there. Here's the great news about biblical truth, about biblical archaeology, if you want to get into it. Like, we live in a world right now, this postmodern society that says, if science can't prove it, it must not be real. But I find that ironic that science now says, hey, guess what? There's more than two genders. No, psychology says there's more than two genders, which is belief, not science, which is science. All Scripture is God-breathed, two genders, Male, female. All scripture is set up that way. And God identifies that from the get-go, that I created the male and female. And so we walk through these things where God's word has to direct our thoughts because God's word was given through these people, 40 different authors over three separate continents over a 2,000-year period, all pointing to one person, Jesus Christ, that would die on the cross and rise again. And the great thing about biblical archaeology is we can trace it back to within 20 years of Jesus' death, which means the disciples were still alive, some of them, to say, no, 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 you guys got this sucker wrong. And they didn't. All of it has been protected in a supernatural way. So listen to what happens. He says, if all Scripture is God-breathed, that means it comes from the mouth of God, and it's useful for teaching. Teaching is this idea of instructing believers in God's truth. In other words, I use Scripture to teach me God's truth, and I align my heart under that. Rebuking. Rebuking is the idea that he's going to correct any of us who are caught in sin. So God's Word is going to be the very one that rebukes us or calls you out for the sin that you might have in your life. It's going to be correcting. In other words, it corrects bad theology or bad thoughts. I have no value. When the Bible says you are of utmost value because God made you in his image, and it doesn't matter who you are, what you've been through, what you've gone through, or what everybody else says, your value is of so much importance that Jesus died on the cross for you. That's the beauty of God's word. That it shouldn't matter what color you are, it shouldn't matter what religious background you are, it shouldn't matter what you've done in the past, that Jesus died on the cross for every single one of us. As I prep this, did you know there's a guy, I don't, I don't agree with everything he believed theologically, but there was a guy, old philosophy guy named Karl Barth. Anybody know Karl Barth? Heard of him in school? No? Oh, man. Okay, so Karl Barth, German theologian. Karl Barth, during the rise of Nazism, was preaching against the very things. And let me tell you what happened in his church. While I don't agree with everything Karl Barth taught theologically, Karl Barth would preach against Hitler and Nazism and this whole idea that there's a supreme race, and he would preach against it. You know what people in the church would do at that time? They'd get up and walk out. German Christians would get up and walk out of the church, and you want to know Why? 
because they listened to the outside voices of what government and everybody else was telling them instead of listening to the inside voice of what God's word said. That is that everybody is created equal. That we're all in the same position, that we're all sinners, that we're in need of God's grace. So he corrects bad theology through the truth of his word. And then it says, and he trains, or it's used, God's word is used for training in righteousness. In other words, it's the idea that it's guiding believers in God's ways, that I do the right thing, that I walk a righteous, holy, set-apart life. That's what God's word is set up for, so that we can do it. So an innocent Jesus died for the sins of the world, and that's exactly what Paul's getting to. He says, listen, here's the deal. If it's all that way, then I want us to understand that I give you this charge. And he tells Timothy point blank, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. You're going to preach the word. Now, some of you may say, well, that's for you, preacher. That's your job. Well, while I say that, yes, it is. It is the preacher's job to sit under the authority of God's word and proclaim the truth of God's word, but it's all our job to align ourselves under the authority of God's word, to use that as the shield or the very thing that's going to dictate the direction of my life, that when I ask a question, God, what do you want me to do in marriage? What do you want me to do in finances? What do you want me to do in a job? What do you want me to do with my kids that I align myself or place myself under the authority of God's word? Or I build my life upon the authority of God's word and allow him to structure everything else. And when I do that, then as I walk in obedience, then there's a success thing there. It's called Jesus makes us fruitful. Doesn't mean you're going to be rich. Not going to be the name it, claim it. Not going to be the prosperity, health, and wealth. If you claim it, you got it. That's not at all what scripture oftentimes lays out. But we have to understand that we have to let God's word direct your thoughts and your actions because that is the very center of what we do. So if that's the truth, then I have to begin to look at every scenario and situation within my life and ask that question, what does God's word say? And number three is this, that we have to learn the difference between God's truth and man's ideas. Listen to what happens. Paul says, preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season. I love this, right? Like for baseball or football, like right now, USFL's going on. Anybody watching it? Yeah, I didn't think so either because I was watching a little bit yesterday, and there were like 30 people in the stands at the New Jersey Generals game. I was like, they're in New Jersey. There's a lot of people there, right? Like you're in New York City, and you guys can't get 1,000 people to come to a football game, <laughs> right? Listen. We have to learn the difference between God's truth. And Paul is saying to Timothy, preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season. That means I got to be prepared all the time to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim that I was dead in my sins and my trespasses, but I'm no longer dead in those sins and trespasses, but I'm alive in God. But then he tells us why. He says you got to do it to correct, rebuke, and as well encourage with great patience and careful instruction. But listen to verse 3. And this is where I want to kind of finish with everything else. Verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit whose desires? Their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
If you were to watch The Social Dilemma, they start to interview some of these social media experts who created Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and different things like that. And they ask one of them, they said, what is your greatest fear as a result of the way social media has built its algorithms, the way they track everything about you, the way they determine what you're going to see? You guys realize that you and I are the product on social media. You're not being sold things, you're sold. You are sold to companies. You are sold to individuals who want you to hear a specific message. That's why when you click on a link to something, your computer tracks it, and they begin to track more and more and more, and that's how we get into these hollow areas where we call them echo chambers, right? That somebody tells me exactly what I want to hear. And I begin to surround myself with people who tickle my ears and tell me exactly what it is whether it's an extreme left agenda or an extreme right agenda in politics, or if it's even listening to a a, a sermon or an ideology that says, listen, you don't have to completely align yourself with God's word. Things have changed over 2,000 years. All of those things become the very things that we tickle our ears with. Keep in mind why. Because it's the desire of our heart deep down inside, which is the very sin nature that Jesus died for in the first place. So it says, they're not going to put up with sound doctrine. In other words, sound theological teaching. Now, a lot of you are like, sound theological teaching? You're using some awfully big words. It's called the authority of God's word under my life, and I begin to live based upon everything else. I make every decision in my life built upon or looking through, if we want to use glasses to a certain extent, looking through the lens of Scripture. That everything I look at, I look at through the lens of Scripture. Sexuality, lens of Scripture. Marriage, lens of Scripture. Finances, lens of Scripture. Who I'm going to date, lens of Scripture. How I'm going to work my, my job, lens of Scripture. I believe the greatest, hardest workers should be your Christians. Everything is built upon the lens of Scripture. But listen to what happens They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. You see what it just says? They're going to reject or turn away from truth, and they're going to turn to myths. And let me show you, let me just unpack a couple of myths that we can think about. See, when we talk about this idea of men not putting up with sound doctrine, the role of Scripture in the church must be the foundation upon which we build. But men will gather around these teachers who are going to teach them what they want to say. And then in Romans chapter 1, it says this, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And then listen, verse 25, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. The simple fact is this, that people will turn away from truth and turn aside to myths. That we live in a world of competing world view ideologies. There's this idea of secular worldview or a biblical worldview. The secular worldview would be very specific. In other words, it's going to say things like this. There is a thing called global warming, and as a result, we've got to do our best. Now, let me clarify a biblical worldview from a secular worldview. I believe that global warming is taking place. Now, let me explain how, though. The Bible is very clear that the earth is passing away, Romans chapter 8. The earth is groaning. And it's not just the earth. It says all of creation groaning, waiting the Savior. What we know throughout Scripture is the promise that the earth will pass away. Read Revelation chapter 20 and 21. 
It says the old earth is gone and the new heaven will come down, the new Jerusalem. In other words, the very earth that we exist on now will cease to exist. I believe that the biblical mandate, though, is this, that we should be good stewards of God's earth. But we don't go to the extreme where we put people in jeopardy. That we put lives at stake for the good of the earth. Let me clarify. There are decisions made by certain government people who would say, we're going to do this and we don't care what it affects or who it affects. And that's wrong. Barna research shows this. If you know anything about Barna, he's been studying Christians and and everyday thing. Only 17% of Christians in the world right now, 17% of Christians consider their faith important and attend church regularly and have a biblical worldview. 61% agree with ideas rooted in new spirituality. In other words, people who would claim to be professed Christians would say that everybody prays to the same God. People who profess to be Christians say that meaning and purpose come from being one with nature. People who profess to be Christians claim that karma is going to affect you. And all of those have crept in to the church. Postmodern thought, 20% of believers believe that no one can know for certain the meaning of life. 23% of professed believers believe that what is morally right or wrong depends on what the person believes. In other words, that's true for you, that's great. It's not true for me, but you go ahead and do your truth. Do you begin to see how Scripture starts to step on our toes? Do you see how the authority of God's word begins to call into correction or rebuke or training so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work? So I brought up global warming and we could go all the way down with finances and everything else. But I believe this, that there is a biblical worldview with which we have to hold. And we have to allow the voice of Scripture the voice of God's word, to be louder than the voices that are outside, even political voices. Because we get caught up in the echo chambers of what's going on in social media and the news and entertainment that we begin to think, yeah, they're right. When they're contradicting the very word of God from the get-go. I will say this, and I will say this unabashedly and unashamedly. We will always be a church as long as I'm pastor. You're going to have to fire me. I'll tell you that. You would have to fire me if you wanted to go a different direction. Because I said this when I got here, we will be a church that will be obedient to God long before we ever cater to the whims of man. That's what God has called me to do as the pastor. That's what God has called me to live as a believer that I will follow God's word. Now, hear me out. There are people who will profess to be Christians who will treat people with great hate and division as a result of lifestyles in their life, and that's not me. We will stand on the truth of God's word. We will walk with great grace. We will speak the truth with love, seasoned with salt, just as the Bible says, that we will accept people for where they're at, knowing that God doesn't leave them where they're at, but wants to take them where they're gonna be. 
because God has a great plan. That's what he says. I have a plan for every single person because they were made in my image. They have great value and they have great purpose. But we got to deal with the sin nature. And Jesus is the only way to deal with the sin nature. Christ crucified on the cross purchased or bought your life regardless of what you choose to believe so that you could walk in freedom from sin and enjoy the abundant life that Jesus promised. Abundance in finances, abundance in the daily progression of what God wants to do, an abundance in, in a successful and healthy marriage relationship, an abundance with my kids that they can experience a life and a life more abundantly with him. Jesus throughout scripture shows it. We see it all throughout scripture that when we walk in obedience, that God blesses his people It may not be with riches, but you will never walk outside of God's blessing in life. So, I believe our response is simple. That we align ourselves under the truth of God's word, and we allow the voice of the word to speak louder than everything else. Father, we come to you acknowledging our weaknesses, our struggles, acknowledging the difficulties we oftentimes have where we begin to allow those outside voices to kind of influence our thought process and our beliefs. Father, we hear in James chapter one where it says, don't be mere hearers of the word, but be doers. That you have called us to action. That we align our beliefs up with the truth of your word and we live those beliefs out daily, day in and day out that we love with great grace because you loved us first, that we love those around us who right now may be rejecting or walking in a life of sin, but we love them. We wrap our arms around them and we show great compassion because that's exactly what you did. But Lord, just as the woman at the well, you did not let her off the hook. You showed her the grace, but you called her out for the sin that was in her life. And the beautiful picture of that is that she ran to tell everybody the good news, that she had met the Messiah. So Lord, we pray that we would align ourselves under the truth of your word. We pray that you would use us in a great way. We know that this is a difficult subject, that oftentimes we may feel like we're getting our toes stepped on, but the reality is it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the truth of your word that calls us to change. So may we align ourselves up under that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.